And there they go. Good morning, Grace Chapel. So good to see you here today. You know, in introducing our summer series, which we began three weeks ago, I hope you remember that I pointed out that many Christians um, seem to try handling the Bible in a particular way. They seem to see it as God's great encyclopedia. You remember that? Remember we, we talked about that? It, it, that it's a, some kind of topical index of uh, human problems, and you just flip through it, and you find the word, and I want to find this one, and you find that, and then right under it is a divine solution. It's, it's an amazing topical index to each of life's problems. But I explained as we got going on this that you won't get very far. You won't get very deep with that kind of a strategy because the Bible in its entirety from Genesis through Revelation, it's written in it to adjust our character in all areas of life in its entirety. It adjusts our character of life in its entirety. Uh, take marriage, for example. Um, most of what the Bible has to say about marriage is not found in just the passages that have the word marriage. Yet, most people would get, you know, go in the back of their Bible, find the word marriage in the index, and then find all the passages that have that word in it. Well, this is what the Bible has to say about marriage. Not so. <laughs> Yet, that's typically where everybody goes. Using Scripture as an encyclopedia will cause you to only go to those passages that use the name marriage because that's how encyclopedias work, but the Bible's not what? An encyclopedia. And you would end up missing the fuller picture of what God wants and desires and has designed for your marriage. Like the following passages which pertain to our marriages, but don't specifically even use the word. You won't even find it. You won't even find spouse in there. All of Psalm 73, the entire psalm, where God through the psalmist exegetes one of the struggles that every spouse in every marriage on the planet living in a fallen world will experience. What is that? Injustice. I don't like the way life is working out. You never experienced that in your marriage, right? Those of you who are married, right, 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 never, never. The injustice and that God is sovereign. That God is in control despite what our eyes see. And you see, that fuller picture of God will give each of us a fuller picture, a more realistic picture of what our marriages should be. And that's just one psalm. And then 1 Peter 1 lays out what God is doing between our salvation uh, and His Son's second coming, which happens to be a lot. And Peter talks about it in that whole chapter. The, the period between... Christ coming and when I got saved, the period in which my Christian marriage lives, yours lives. Revelation chapter 5, it allows you and I to eavesdrop in on eternity and what that's even like. And it clarifies the values that must structure every Christian marriage. You see, we need to treat the Word of God not as an encyclopedia, but as a narrative. It's this grand origin to destiny story of redemption. And we discover everything that God wants us to know about himself, about ourselves, and the purpose and the meaning of, of our life. Uh, 
You have to have a working knowledge from Genesis to Revelation, not just on the topics you happen to care about at the moment, or shall we say the myths, about what God has actually said can start to form and develop in our lives. So speaking of myths, that happens to be our summer topic. So, which is the next common myth we come to. It's number four, myth number four. Christians should not judge. You ever heard that? <laughs> you might have even said it this week. Uh, Christians should not judge. Uh, is it true? Don't say anything out loud. Not yet. One author said, suggested, here's a foolproof way to, to get your friends and your coworkers to quote the Bible. You want to know what it is? Call something a sin. <laughs> he said, use the S word. Um, comment on a, on a particular lifestyle choice in our culture that the Bible specifically condemns. Um, critique the belief system of a cult or another world religion from the Bible. Name any behavior that isn't currently universally condemned by our culture, and then just step back and wait for it. You might get, who are you to judge me? Have you ever, maybe you've even said that. Who are you to judge that group of people? You'll even get that from Christians. They might say, and I, I hear this a lot, Jesus said, because we, we always pull out the big gun, right, when we want to prove a point. Well, it's good, except this is wrong. Jesus said, do not judge, period. Jesus said, hey, if you are without sin in your life, right, then go ahead and cast the first stone. Didn't he say that? And it's amazing how many people know some Bible terminology and even some of the words of Jesus, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's even more amazing when they do not even really believe in the Bible or Jesus and they're using it. And of course, they're probably just trying to um, stump your reasoning on a particular subject and what better way to prove that you're wrong than to quote your master. Still others are quite willing to accept the Bible in some form, and even acknowledge Jesus when they are challenged and w about their choices and, and, and maybe their, their, their worldview that they've adopted and are living out, as long as the Bible they're quoting supports the choices in the worldview they have. However, judge not is not exactly being used correctly in the church and outside the church. This idea that Jesus forbade his followers to judge is a myth. It's a myth. We need to, we need to start here. It's a, it's a widely believed spiritual urban legend. It can't stand up to the actual words of the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation, as I'm going to try to demonstrate this morning. Refusing to make judgments... Refusing to call sin, sin, is not what Jesus asks us to do. In fact, Jesus did that all the time. And he asks us to do the same thing in the same way. 
first a word of caution before we dive into what the Bible has to say about this and we hit the Bible on this. When judging, I notice, I notice it in my own life. I notice it in the life of other believers. I notice that sometimes we can jump on board on a particular topic that we're really excited about so intensely, right? So fervently that we can come across that we're more ravenous to win an argument for our own ego than we are concerned about the individual we're talking to. Just want to lay that out as a backdrop. So let's get into it. Here are some scriptures that describe the proper way to judge, like Jesus. First of all, we're going to use the example of Jesus. Is it a better place to start? Right, use the Son of God, God in the flesh, the living Word of God. That's where we're going to go, Jesus. And where we're going to start is actually go to that exact place from which so many quote him incorrectly, all right? And it's Matthew chapter 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 7. It's the first six verses. Jesus didn't say in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 6, he did not say, judge not. He did not say, judge not, with a period or an exclamation mark right after it. Jesus did say, do not judge followed by a clarification of what type of judgments we, you and I are to make, when we are to make them, and how we are to make those judgments. That is what he said. So we went over this passage together last year when we did our Sermon on the Mount um, series. Um, so let's refresh our study because maybe we forgot. Judge, verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, here, let me help you out here. Let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will be able to see. <laughs> see, that's the whole point here. You'll be able to see clearly to help your brother out to take the speck out of his eye. Do not get, and sometimes you should just keep your mouth shut. Good advice, Christian church. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Like what happened to Jesus with the religious rulers of his day. So what Jesus is doing here, he's not forbidding judgment, not at all, but he's issuing a warning that you and I need to listen to and heed and obey, a warning against judging, against judging before you do a self-analysis. It's a call to practice the Davidic Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, it's where David cries out in this, this intense spiritual hunger for God. And he says, search me, O God, and expose any sin that I'm not aware of. Just come in and do your surgery on my heart as only you can do and show me so that I can what? Repent of that sin so that I can have a clean heart first before you and then secondly before others and now I can judge correctly as the 
representative of you on the planet as the king of Israel, and you and I are the representatives of Jesus on this planet for God. Do we judge correctly? Jesus elaborates on his often misunderstood command to not judge with that illustration. And I think, I think ben, 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 I think you did this passage in our summer series, right? Yeah, yeah. And, he, and Ben went off on the speck in the log. And so you can, you can go online and listen to that. But he uses the illustration of the speck in the log. It's a warning. It's a warning that will keep you and I as followers of Jesus Christ thinking before we're speaking. Of course, nobody in here has that issue. I know. I get it. It's, it's outside the church. Tongue in cheek. It keeps us more thoughtful more thoughtful about our own sin before pursuing <laughs> the sin in other people's lives. Uh, it's a very, very clever technique, isn't it, what Jesus is doing here? It's so clever. But isn't that what you'd expect from God? And then in John chapter 7, John records what Jesus had to say more on this subject. In verse 24 of chapter 7, Jesus adds further clarification. He says, do not judge by appearances. See, that's what he was being judged by, by the religious elite of his day, by his adversaries, um, who he ate with, what he ate, how he spent the Sabbath, Saturday, with his disciples. He was being judged on appearances. But judge with right judgment. This is what Jesus said. So there is a right judgment. There is a right way to judge. So now we go to number two, Paul. Paul made a ton of, of inspired comments on this whole topic of judgment. First Corinthians, he talked to the Corinthian church in Greece and, uh, you know, brand new church, experiencing lots of problems like every church family is going to have because we're a family and families have problems and they do, don't always just sort of go away. So Paul's addressing a lot of their issues, and in 1 Corinthians 5, 9 to 13, he said, now, remember that other, the other letter I wrote? I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Sounds like good advice, right? Don't associate with sexually immoral people. They are not to be your BFF, all right? Just putting it out there. But look at what he says next. As to the location of those immoral individuals that you and I are not so asso to associate ourselves with. Not, he says, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world, because that's probably where we all went, right? That's probably where they went. He said, no, no, I'm not talking about the world. I'm not talking because we'll get to that. Or, or, or the greedy, swindlers, idolaters, and Jesus would have added what? tax collectors, Gentiles, the poor, all the people you look down on, even people who are sick, since then you would need to go out of the world. You'd, you couldn't live. You'd have to stay inside all day, uh, which unfortunately many Christians have attempted to do over the centuries. Um, isolate themselves, insulate themselves from the world. Uh, this fallen world that is around us, that we've been called to go into with the good news. Uh, hiding in monasteries. 
creating communes, and even committing genocide in the name of God to eradicate the issues and the problems that they see in life. Paul goes on, but now, here's what I'm writing to you about. I'm not writing to you about the world. I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister, a fellow Christian. If they're guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, um, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, don't even have lunch with them. Now, wait a minute here. Wouldn't this step Paul is asking me to do require me to do some judging? All God's people said, yes. Don't say it with a lot of excitement, though, okay? Because we don't want to have to do this. We want to change our character before this happens. Some kind of holding each other up to a particular standard. And just like Peter, Paul is so clever here. Did you see it? Did you see what he did? How he shares these directives, the manner in which he does it? Paul lists obvious sins that you and I see in other people so clearly, and we're really uh, quick to judge those clear sins. And he lists those sins alongside of what? Sins that probably every one of us in this room have a common temptation towards. You know the technique he's using here, right? Putting the glaring and the forbidden uh, right alongside the quite common and the often permissible, like greedy. Are you any, don't put your hand up. Are any of you greedy? Were you greedy this last week in any of your dealings with other people? Have you ever been in a situation where uh, maybe it was at a fair or some kind of outing, and somebody yelled out, free ice cream, giving away ice cream. It's like people have never had ice cream before. It's like little children get trampled by adults on their way to get ice cream. Have you ever been in a ball game or seen it on TV, uh, baseball, and the ball goes in the stands and starts bouncing around? Have you seen the reaction of people? Just like, boom, over top of each other like they've... Like they never, like you can't go to a store and buy one of those baseballs. It's like, it's free. Uh, you know, it's like, we're greedy people. I love it when someone catches a ball and gives it to a little kid, right? Next, next to them. I love it when that happens. Paul says, for what have I do with judging outsiders? Was it ever really any of our business to judge the world? The world is doing today what I used to do when I was of the world. I used to do it so naturally. Didn't you? It's like, and I remember it. I remember it like it was yesterday. A sinner condemned unclean will naturally <laughs> sin. Don't be surprised. They can't help it. Instead, use the opportunity to tell them of the hope for their sin in Jesus Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. 
Don't wag your finger or shake your head. Tell them about Jesus. Yeah, but they'll say no. That's none of your business what they say. Our responsibility is to tell them this is what we do. So, we don't need to judge unbelievers. So this is, this is like a big burden off a lot of people's backs. Like that's none of your business. That's not our job as the church. We don't need to judge unbelievers. We don't need to judge this present world system of chaos. It is. It's chaotic and it's getting worse. They're already judged by God. It's, it's already happened. And they will pay the ultimate price for their sin, just like you and I would have had God not showered us with the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, and given us all that grace and all that mercy. Paul said, is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? And, and you realize this is a rhetorical question, and the answer is yes. We we each hold each other accountable, at least we should be. But always remember back to Jesus' warning in Matthew chapter 7, how you judge. <clears throat> Paul goes on to say, God judges those outside, right? Your job is to purge the evil person from among you. See, that's something we can do. But even in this, the church messes this up so easily, right? You've heard the stories so how do you do it correctly? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. God doesn't leave us hanging. In 2 Thessalonians, another church, the Thessalonica church, Paul is giving them some instruction on judging and how to, how to handle themselves. And in, and in chapter 3 of 2 Thessalonians, <clears throat> starting in verse 14, he said, if any one of you doesn't obey what I've been saying in this letter, what I want the rest of you to do when you, when you see them disobeying what is explicitly said in the Word of God, take note of them. Like, like, notice that. Don't just go, oh, oh well, yeah, people are people. No, no take notice of it. Be concerned. Be, be, be um, well, I'll read it. By the way, if I take notice of someone's actions and my note is that it's not what the Bible says, is that not a judgment? I think it is. And he says, and have nothing to do with them. Wow, that's harsh. Why on earth? What's God's end game for his own children? Oh, that he may be ashamed. That he may see his folly. That he may or she may be driven to repent. To make it right with God to be cleansed from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9, a, a passage we read around here in the Grace Chapel family all the time because we all need it. He says, do not regard him as an enemy while you're doing this. This is hard. This is not done well. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him. Just like Jesus did in Matthew chapter 7. Warn him as a brother. Do we love each other this much? Do we love each other this much to take the time and to do it in private? Third example is John, the Apostle John. John is known as the Apostle of love. Very good. One person knew it. Good. Get a start. 
known as the apostle of love. So if anybody wasn't going to judge, right, it'd be John. First John, his first letter, chapter 2, verses 3 and 6. And by this we know that we have come to know him. This is how you know whether you or someone else is of the faith of Jesus, in Jesus Christ. If you keep his commandments, what he said, whoever says, I know him, I'm a Christian, I go to church and everything, but does not keep the commandments, guess what they are? Boom, liar. And the truth is not in them. By the way, isn't that a judgment that I'm making on somebody? It's a judgment based on keeping what? What the Bible says. Staying true to that. Not deviating. But whoever keeps, but whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected growing, transforming them into the image of Jesus Christ. And by this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The standard is Jesus Christ. The way is Jesus Christ. The truth about everything is Jesus Christ. And how you and I walk in this life is by Jesus Christ alone. And that's only how you and I can judge righteously and correctly. But quite often, uh, I get it, been there, we're tempted. You and I are tempted to help God out, right? Like we said, yeah, I got to help God out here. I got I to gotta step in. Um, you know, obviously the Holy Spirit's not doing his job. And I just, I got I to gotta be, you know, you know what I'm saying, I got to help God out, and I, and I need to make these judgments. But by the way, does God really need to be helped out? I don't think so. I need to make these judgments, but we make the judgments in areas that, that aren't sin. You know, they're, they're preferences, they're convictions people have, but it's not sin. Um, and God doesn't seem to care all that much about some of those choices that you and I make in those areas. Or he's granted us freedom to go that way. And here are some passages on this way that speak to that tendency that I think we all have as humans. Uh, it can be so harmful. It's so legalistic. Um, and it's stifling to what God wants to do through his family, the church. The improper use of judgment. Okay, so we saw how it should be used. Now, here's the improper use. Now, remember what John pointed out? John pointed out not keeping the words of God. That's, you, you shouldn't be judging anybody. All right. Here in Proverbs, this passage, Proverbs chapter 30, it's about adding to the words of God, which we're also really good at doing, especially when it comes to rules and regulations and convictions and how we, how we live out the faith. But it's pointed out in Scripture that both of those choices makes you a liar. Proverbs 30, 5 and 6, every word of God proves true. It just does. You can hide in it. It's a shield. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him, in His words. Do not add. Do not add to His words. Lest He rebuke you and you be found a liar. Just like the people who aren't living the words, you're adding, both bad, both bad. Don't go there. 
the legalists of Jesus' day added rule after rule after rule in an attempt to keep everybody in line, it probably started off as a really good idea. You know, like people are out of control. Like we need some boundaries here and we need to set some rules in. And so they came up with all, but they got off of the word of God and they started making stuff up that they thought would be good to keep people in line. Those rules that they made in Jesus' day ended up keeping everyone a slave in bondage to believing that these human rules could offer any kind of righteousness before holy God. They're all filthy rags. Knock yourself out doing this stuff. It won't get you anywhere before God. It's only through Jesus Christ that we have a right standing before God. And each of us can have these legalist tendencies about things that the Bible doesn't comment on specifically, like, for instance, what you eat. Not how much you eat. The Bible has something to say about that. But what you eat, like what you drink. Not what you drink, but how much you drink like going too far in any area that is seemingly quite harmless, but you become obsessive about it. It becomes your cause, your life goal. You worship it more than you worship God. Like a person, a job, some form of entertainment, even food. Like making salvation so easy Everybody can do it. Just, it's just like you snap your fingers. Where it becomes more about your faith than about God's grace. We're going to finish this morning. I'm just going to read and comment from Romans chapter 14. Even going to jump into Romans 15 a little bit. Because it has so much relevance to this whole idea of how we judge each other improperly. And we need to get back on doing it the right way, in love, for restoration purposes, to grow together, to share together, so that, you know why people don't want to share their stuff with other people? It's because of this judgmental attitude. I want to be restored. I'm sharing this because I, I don't like it. I want to be restored, but I don't share it because you're just going to slam me over the head with your big Bible. Paul said, as for the one who is weak in the faith. How many of you are weak in the faith? <laughs> <Who's>, <laughs> three people are weak in the faith. All right, good. So that's a problem. <laughs> As for the one who is weak in the faith. So let's acknowledge right from the get-go what Paul's going to do here is that every true Bible-believing church on the planet is inhabited by weak, semi-weak, strong, overbearingly strong believers, right? Every shape and size. And it always will be until Jesus comes back and we come to full maturity in our resurrected bodies. This is a fact. Don't, don't go into a church and say, oh, man, there's so many different kinds of people. <laughs> Have you ever read your Bible? It's like Baskin-Robbins. No, all those flavors of ice cream. You just got them. Some of them you like, some of them you don't like. 
Actually, I love them all. I really do. Because I'm mature in my ice cream. And what does Paul say about the person who's weak? Okay, listen to this. Welcome him. Wow. I thought I was supposed to judge him. <laughs> this isn't fun anymore, Pete. I don't, I don't like this. I'm supposed to welcome him? No. You're to judge sin, blatant sin in the church family with the idea of restoration and maturity and growth, not weakness in the faith as it relates to opinions and convictions about certain things, about your lifestyle of faith that you live out on a daily basis before God that you're sure of before God. Paul says, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Hey, you want to go out for lunch next week? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change your idea. No, it's, it's, it's wrong. One person believes he can eat anything. And another, well, the weak person eats only vegetables. And, of course, let's not do the whole vegetable meat thing. I don't want that to get all crazy here because it wasn't about diet like it is today. For various reasons, not just diet. Like, like you and I today um, might just go on a, a completely vegetarian diet for, for, our, for our own bodily benefit, which is, which is a great thing. But here it's that the meat had been contaminated in the opinion of the weak person because it had been offered to idols prior, and which, which is very, very common in most New Testament area cities in the Gentile world, or most likely that it hadn't been prepared in a kosher way for a Jew. The church was made up of Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and the Jews had their dietary laws that they kept. And so Paul says, let not the one who eats, and I want you to see this, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Because that judgment, as we have just studied from a variety of places in God's Word, is reserved for sin in the life of the believer, not a preference or conviction. For God has welcomed him, both of them, who are you? This is like Jesus who said, who are you to try to take the beam out of somebody's eye when you got, in, in that regard, that's sin. Here Paul's doing it with preferences. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. It's before God that he lives and breathes and dies. And he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. The Holy Spirit of God, He will convict them regarding their opinions and their convictions if they're off. Just as the Holy Spirit of God will convict you and will convict me regarding our opinions and our convictions when they are off. Or if they're on, encourage us to keep and give us everything we need to keep on, keeping on. 
And then Paul gives another example from his day. He said, okay, so like in the church, there's some people who esteem one day is better than another. He's talking about worship and holy days. And of course, for a Jew, it would have been Saturday. And for the Gentile, most of the Gentiles in the church, it would have been Sunday, which is the resurrection day of, of Jesus Christ. Well, another person esteems all days. Hey, we can go to church Wednesday. We can be here Wednesday at 11, right? Some of you are like, no, no, it's got to be Sunday at 11. I prefer 10, but okay, well, I'm, I can go. Well, here's the point, and Paul makes it. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. This is what matters. As, as Paul doesn't mention here, but it's insinuated from all other Scripture, that your mind, my mind, your mind, has to be fully convinced because of what the Bible actually says. Not because of what someone has carefully taught or charismatically taught that the Bible says. You've got to be convinced because you've seen it in God's Word and you've come to this conclusion. Paul goes on, and the one who observes the day, whatever, whatever day it is, observes it in honor of the Lord, and that's a good thing. People who meet on Saturday to worship God together, that's a good thing. Why? Because they're worshiping God. The one who eats meat, vegetables, the one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, doesn't eat the meat, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to the God. What's the common denominator? Notice that these preferences are done in honor of God. That's what's important. Accompanied with what? Thanks to God for what he's given. These aren't convictions that I hold because they serve me. I find that so often. Oh, yeah, well, the Bible says this about this, and so, because I want this. That's why I'm picking into the Bible to find out if I can do this, because I want to do it. That's so backwards. They serve me better. They benefit me. They feed a desire I have, and I'm looking for a loophole. And I use this faith thing as a crutch to satisfy my own longings. Well, you know what? That's no longer an opinion or a conviction. That's kind of like sin. And Paul makes this statement. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. That is, church, that is quite a statement, isn't it? Is it true for you? For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, this is why Jesus Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. This world is not my home. (laughs) I live most days like it is. I'm being honest. And I'm just passing through. So don't get so hung up on this world. Christ is your master. That's who you unite. We're going to stand before him one day. We are. 
Why do you, Paul says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? After, and this is a really good point, place for him to put this in. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or your sister on preferential things? Or why do you despise your brother? Did you notice that again, what he's done here? That judgment about someone's convictions that they have before God in all honesty and despising them for those convictions are closely linked here. They're interchangeable. And I think it's for a really, really good reason because I think there are people that can be in a church family who might be kind of proud about their judging nature. They, they wear it like a badge of honor. They're, they're the Holy Spirit in your life. They're the church police. <laughs> and we need to be watching out for each other. Don't get me wrong here. But they probably wouldn't be so proud about that tendency they have if they read this and realized they were being, they were being characterized as a possible despiser. That's different than judging, right? No. It can be the same thing. And then Paul says what I, actually, what I said earlier. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So what do we do with this myth? Well, I'm just going to invite you right now as I read the rest of this passage to just sit back and allow the Holy Spirit of God to reveal to you what Paul says next. For this purpose... In order to judge ourselves this morning, not the individual you may have been thinking about during this message who needed to hear this. I, I do that all the time. I do. And then I'm like, dope. <laughs> it's me. Because that's where judgment begins. Paul says, so then. Let us pursue what makes for peace. Let us pursue what makes for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food or anything else, destroy the work of God. Let people have their convictions about things. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for you, for anyone, to make another person stumble by what he eats, to say, no, no, hey, see this pork? Mmm, it is good. Mm-hmm. You, you can't eat it? Why don't you try, try a little bit? I'll win you over. It is good not to eat meat or even drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. If they have a conviction about it. Don't push your preferences and convictions on others. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Why? Because now you have a clear, a clear, clean conscience before God. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he's not eating from faith. He's, he's, being, 
he's, being, he's doing this thing out of pressure to conform to whatever the crowd is saying. For whatever, whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. You see how your convictions can get so easily into the area of sin? As always, in everything, our example is Jesus Christ. And we who are strong, Paul says, we have an... That, that means that, that's if you're strong. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Note that it says bear with and not tear up. And note that it's not their sin, but their lack of... Maybe it's maturity. Maybe there's a fear that's in their life over something and that's causing this response. And not to please ourselves, that each one please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, our master, our model. As it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Would you rise with me? And as we rise together as the children of God, as we prepare to worship with our voices, to sing as one, with with one mind, here's the benediction for this morning as we finish off with what Paul says next in this passage. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you saved me while I was a sinner. You nurture us along with your word through the indwelling Holy Spirit. You convict us about things. And Lord, I pray we follow those convictions. I pray that we are from this message more loving and concerned about each other and desperately concerned about any sin that may reside in our hearts, in our minds, any false thinking at all. And we look to you and your spirit to weed it out. And we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.